We all have a yearning for love, but relationships can be confusing and complicated. Dr. Tammy Balashevsky says it all starts from within. It starts with a journey to center. Here's your host for Journey to Center on Empower Radio, Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, my beautiful listeners and exquisite friends. I have a question for you to consider. On a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you? With a number 10 representing being utterly blissed out and the number 1 being extremely depressed and completely unhappy. What is the number that intuitively comes forward for you just now? Here are some other questions. Do you feel a sense of unease or discontent? Do you feel dissatisfied or disconnected in your own life? Do you sometimes feel you are on the outside looking in? Or do you simply not feel as fulfilled and happy as you would like to? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, there may be a very real reason for it. And you may be happy to hear it is something that is very fixable. I like this tidbit of wisdom from Jill Bolte-Taylor. Although many of us like to think of ourselves as thinking creatures that feel, biologically, we are feeling creatures that think. So if you are not feeling as good as you would like to, you are in the right place here today on Journey to Center. I'm going to be having a compelling and enlightening conversation with Dr. Janice Webb. Dr. Webb is a clinical psychologist with a background in research, psychological testing, and psychotherapy. She has worked in a variety of settings, including psychiatric emergency service, substance abuse programs, and now specializes in the treatment of couples and families. Dr. Webb has recently written a powerful book called Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect. So Dr. Webb, I'm so happy to be having this conversation with you here today on Empower Radio. Hi, Tammy. I'm happy to be here. I love your book. I finished it last night and it's highlighted and marked up because you have such profound wisdom that you're sharing. Um, so first of all, right out of the gate, I'd like to know what running on empty means and why you wrote this book. Well, I wrote the book because during 20 years practicing as a psychologist, I started to realize that there are a lot of people who are very affected by something from their childhood, which they can't see or remember. Uh, once I became aware of it, I saw it over and over and over again, and I felt really compelled that I had to just drag this hidden issue out of the darkness and make people aware of it so that they have the opportunity to heal from it. And um, I named the book Running on Empty because uh, one of the main symptoms that I first started to see was a kind of an emptiness in people, a feeling of being disconnected and not really belonging or, um, you know, just being kind of flawed in some way. And it was people who really had no explanation for it and um, really couldn't figure out why they were feeling that way. So that's the reason that I titled the book, Running on Empty. And I think you're so right. I think so many of us, and I've, I've felt this too, this nebulous undercurrent of, of not belonging, not feeling like I belong or feeling empty. I've done a lot of work with 
inner child healing work and psychology. And it's been so helpful to get me really both feet in, in my own life, feeling very present and connected. So, um, something that you write about that I really like is our childhood is like the foundation of a home and the, the, the house is like our adulthood. And so many of us have had a foundation that isn't solid and stable and we may not even know it. So we've built mm-hmm. this house on something that may be fractured. So, um, I think that's such a wise and powerful way of, of presenting this material. I haven't heard it quite like that before. And it's so true. So it is important to go back and kind of repair this foundation. And I think that's what your book does. Yeah, it's really, the book is about the things that go wrong in childhood that are not visible. You know, there are many excellent books, self-help books about, and psychology books about, you know, childhood abuse and mistreatment which are so helpful to people, but I felt like the thing that was not being attended to was the thing that doesn't happen for people in childhood, which is um, really just the parents adequately validating and responding to a child's emotional needs. And so that's what the book is about. That's what emotional neglect is. And um, it's really not something that happens to people in childhood. It's something that fails to happen for a person in childhood. And um, because it's not something that happens to us, it really does get overlooked. And yet, as the foundation of the house, as you just said, it really um, it really has a tremendous effect on how an adult feels once you know how a child feels once he grows into adulthood. Yes, and I think the thing that makes this kind of insidious, the subject, is it's our parents may have been very, you know, good in many ways. You know, I know I was fed and dressed and warm, and I know my mother loved me. Mm-hmm. I had no idea until later in life that there was emotional neglect. But it's like if our parents aren't deeply in touch with their emotions and haven't been cared for as a child, it's hard for them to give something that they don't have. And this isn't something, this isn't a conversation a lot of people were having a generation or two ago. Yeah, it really has been only, you know, the last few decades that it's become really evident from a lot of research how much impact our childhood has on our adulthood. And, um, you know, you're so right in terms of understanding emotions Really, the research on that has happened in the last 40 years or so, um, or even less. Um, So really, we haven't really had the ability to look at this before now and really talk about it and put words to it and help people be able to, you know, talk about it and deal with it. Yes, exactly. So I'd like to hear from you, Dr. Webb, what are some of the side effects or the manifestations in adulthood of emotional neglect? That's a really good question. Can, so I'm going to start by just giving you some examples of how it, might, how it might look if it's happening in a family, because that ties directly to how it looks in adulthood. Great. So let's say um, a child comes home from school feeling really upset because he had an argument with some friends that day at school. So he's feeling a combination of hurt and anger, and he's feeling really mortified because he knows he has to go back to school the next day and face his friends. And let's say that his parents, who love him very much, are having a busy day, and they fail to notice that he's upset. So nobody says to him, "Um, hey, 
what's wrong? Or did something happen at school today? That child is getting an indirect message that it's very powerful, even though it's indirect from his parents, that his feelings are irrelevant or they just don't matter. And he's going to feel very alone with it. And then if the parents do something slightly worse and they say, you know, you're in a really bad mood. Can you just go up in your room and come down when you can, you know, when you're in a better mood? What's the message that that gives to the kid? It's, uh, you know, we don't want to know what you feel. And, you know, you're making us uncomfortable by having feelings. So go away. So that's telling the kid that feelings are bad and unacceptable and maybe even shameful. So either of these kids is going to get the message that their emotions are are not wanted, are not useful, are not important. And what kids do in that situation is they push their feelings down in a way. And it's it's very, you know, it's it's a really adaptive thing for a kid to do. But um, when that kid grows up, you can't just switch those feelings back on very easily. And so the kid grows up with their feelings pushed away. And that is what causes people in adulthood to feel that sort of disconnected and unfulfilled and sort of empty feeling because they're, they really have taken a very deeply personal biological part of who they are, which connects us all to the world and pushed it away. That's fascinating. Yes, I, I'm. I'm loving hearing you speak about this, and I'm seeing it kind of in a different, from a different perspective. Because children do feel very deeply and very intensely. That's just natural. Oh and yeah. If we're yeah, if we hear the messages like "I don't care what you think or feel" or "Big kids don't cry" or "Get over it," then we start. I think we just take that as fact from our parents. Oh, you you just go okay. I, I that must be truth because we see our parents as our gods and higher powers. So we just start to numb out, I think. And and like you said, disconnect. Yeah. And the the really even a worse part of it too, is that the first example I gave the kid whose parents just don't say anything and act like there's nothing wrong. Mm -hmm. That child in adulthood might, you know, feel this disconnected feeling or like something's wrong with him. But if he goes to see a therapist, they're going to like try to figure out what happened to him in his childhood that has caused this. And he'll have no memory of this thing that didn't happen. He won't remember that his parents didn't ask him. He might remember the fight he had with his friends if it was bad enough, but um, he won't remember anything bad happening in his family because it's not an event and our, our brains don't record that. So that's what makes emotional neglect so insidious and invisible and yet so powerful. That makes that so fascinating. And, and that kind of segues into the question I wanted to ask you. Why do you think this is a subject, you know, it's so prevalent, so powerful. Why do you think it, it is something that is so often overlooked? Just, just because it's, it's so invisible and it's so unmemorable. You know, it's not mm-hmm. tangible. It's not mm-hmm. physical. You can't see it. You know, 50 people could be watching an incident of emotional neglect and have no idea what they're seeing. And the child doesn't register it or record it in, in his brain. The parent doesn't realize what they're doing because often, you know, they're very loving parents, not always, but often they're really great parents who just, you know, they're raising their kid the same way that their parents raised them. So, you know, this thing that, that's not there for them 
they're not aware of it. Um, and mental health professionals even, I think, you know, we all want to deal with with solid data and we want to, you know, get memories out of people to explain things, which is really great and, and it usually works really well. But I think it's caused us to really overlook this much more insidious, invisible thing. I mean, it hasn't even had a name put to it before now that, that is universal that everyone can share. You know, the term emotional neglect um, is, has not really been a universally uh, known term. So it really yes. has been, I think, overlooked a lot. Yeah, and the thing is, again, you know, a lot of people don't want to say, maybe look at this because it's like my parents did a really good job, you know, I don't want to be mad, you know, they didn't do anything wrong. And it, mm -hmm. it's, again, not that anybody did anything wrong because – I do believe everybody does the very best they can, given their level of consciousness. Everybody's doing the best they can. So it's not about making anybody wrong. It's just about really um, realizing that you deserve, you know, sweetness and kindness and love and compassion. Maybe you didn't always get that. But I think cultivating those qualities for ourselves here and now can really just transform us, transform our lives. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I do have to say, I think that some parents, you know, parents don't always do their best. There are some parents who, well, I, I don't know, you could argue that. But I think, you know, a lot of parents are really just very loving and caring. And then there are some parents who are just so taken up by their own needs that they don't pay attention to their child. So that happens. You know, emotional neglect can happen that way, too. Right. Um, I think that's but, true. I like, yeah. yeah. Oprah Winfrey says kids, children are 24-hour need machines. And I think it's true. They oh, need yeah. so much. And emotionally, they need so much. And oftentimes, parents are busy, you know, trying to take care of other children or careers or whatever. They're on empty. So how do you care for this 24-hour need machine when your gas tank is empty? Yeah, that is so true. And then I think also that today's parents, we get so caught up and, you know, trying to make sure our kids are in all the activities we think they should be in and that they're really busy and that they're, um, you know, there's the helicopter parenting syndrome going on. And um, we don't really, I think we lose sight of the fact that to be a really good parent, the most important thing to do is pay attention to your child's emotional needs. If you do that, you can fall down in many other areas and your kid will still turn out fine. You know, if you're <laughs> financially fantastic. compromised. Yeah. Such a good piece of information because I know so many parents are overwhelmed going, you know, this thing, this child didn't come with a manual. What do I do? So just hearing that might provide a lot of um, guidance and direction and solace for listeners that do have children. Yeah, I think so. It kind of, it sort of simplifies things somewhat in today's complicated world. You know, it just kind of like drags you right back to what really matters and away from all of the electronics and the sports. And, you know, sports are great, but you don't have to drive your kid to 15 baseball games a week in order to have your kid turn out well. <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> that's, such, that's such good news. <laughs> mm, yeah. I want my sister to listen to this. That's such good news. So, Dr. Webb, I'm really curious because I see this a lot in dealing with, you know, my clients, my friends, my students, sometimes my listeners. I think a lot of people intellectually know that they are loved, but they don't really feel the love. Like it doesn't go all the way in. Is mm -hmm. there anything we can do to start 
allowing this love in and start really feeling it. I think it's so important. Is there, is there anything we can do to open to that? I think the reason that people, that this happens for people is because, you know, again, everything goes back to childhood. If you feel that your parents didn't really know you or, and this may be even outside of, of your awareness as a child, but as a child growing up, if your parents aren't really paying close attention to who you really are, that, and yet you know they love you, who are they loving? If they don't really know you on a deeply personal level, who are they loving? So the love doesn't feel real. It doesn't really connect unless you feel it's being received from someone who truly knows you. So, and then if you grow up, um, never having truly felt that your parents loved you because they knew you really well, then it's really hard to feel that as an, as an adult also. Mm, Does that make sense? Am I explaining this very well? Okay. No, no, it makes perfect sense. It's like you can intellectually know, but not necessarily feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't feel it as a child, like not really connecting at the heart. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think that makes a lot of, a lot of sense. So this kind of brings me to something you discuss in your book called The Fatal Flaw. Can you tell me more Mm -hmm. about what that is? Yeah, The Fatal Flaw is, it kind of goes back to how I was one of the results of emotional neglect that I was talking about before. That if if you feel that something, you know, if you grow up with your emotions pushed away, then you, your experience in the world is just different than people who have their emotions right there for them. Mm-hmm. And you, you generally just feel like there's something missing, like there's something wrong with you. It feels like you're, you're watching other people live their lives and that they are living in a more colorful world, whereas you're living in black and white, or you feel like, um, like if people really get to know you, they'll see this thing that's wrong inside of you. So emotionally neglected people can tend to sort of keep people at a distance because they don't want that feeling, that fatal flaw feeling to show. Right. And that kind of segues into the subject of counterdependence. Can you explain what counterdependence is? Counterdependence is, um, is an Inability is a little bit of a strong word, but it's having great difficulty allowing yourself to depend on some on other people. And that this happens in emotionally neglected people because, um, and I just want to mention, not everybody has all of these symptoms. These are just the things that we're talking about here um, are kind of, some of them appear in some people, but not, not too many people have all of them, although some people do. But um, counterdependence is uh, when you get the message from your parents that you're not to depend on them too much, you naturally assume as a child that depending on people is not a good thing and it should be avoided. And then as an adult, you have difficulty depending on people. It doesn't really go away unless you recognize that this is an issue for you and where you got it, and that gives you the opportunity then to to start working towards like just forcing yourself to be, to depend on other people more. Mm. That's a, that was a tough one for me. It's like, I, I could uh, be available to help people, but I would never ask anybody 
to help me. And then I wonder why I felt so alone. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it is amazing. Um, emotionally neglected people, that's, that's a, something that's very true often is that they're there for everyone else, but it's very hard for them to ask for help themselves. That's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm running on empty just remembering those days. <laughs> this sputtering it here, is an and empty gas tank. <laughs> so here's a here's a question, Doctor Webb. How do we start to make friends with our feelings? How do we start to open that door to getting in touch with our emotions again? I mean, that's not a small feat. How 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 can we start to relate to our emotions in a healthier way? It's not a small feat. It's kind of, it's really, um, it's a matter of almost changing your brain. Um, And the best way to change your brain and how it works, uh, once it's been wired in, so to speak, from childhood, is to just do the opposite of what your your brain naturally does. You just kind of have to force it. So step one is become aware of what's, what's wrong. So once you realize you have your feelings pushed away, that's a huge step. And realizing how it happened, um, you know, if you realize it's because, you know, you did that as a child to get by, that's a huge step too, because it really helps to understand those things first. Mm-hmm. Then um, in the book, I have a whole, uh, a whole kind of system set up to, there's an exercise that helps people get in touch with what they're feeling in the moment. And, um, you know, it takes, it takes some work, but you have to really force yourself to sit and get in touch with what you feel and put words to it. I mean, there's so many skills that go along with emotion that, you know, you can learn as an adult if you didn't get them as a child, but it it is a whole, it's, you know, it's a fair amount of, of work, but it's so worth it. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely a process. I like something one of my teachers said. Healing is a process, not an event. It's like layers of an onion. It's one step at a time. And to just uh, realize that and just, you know, just be gentle with yourself as you're on on this path. Because uh, the other option is just staying where you're at. And if you're not happy, that's, to me, that doesn't seem like the best option. <laughs> no, it's not. And another benefit of actually doing that work is that, um, you know, along with emotion comes emotional intelligence. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. studies have shown that people with higher emotional intelligence, and I can explain what that is, is, you know, people with higher emotional intelligence are, help, are more successful in life, at work, and in every area. Um, it's even more important to success than intellectual intelligence. I think that that's true. And I think, you know, just as you're speaking, what's coming forward for me is like, if we're not in touch with our emotions, how can we possibly be in touch with our intuition? Knowing what deals to say yes to, knowing what deals to say no to. It seems to me your feelings are going to be pretty important in, in navigating through the terrain of, of being successful in life, not just being happy, but also being successful. Yes. You just put your finger exactly on something that's really, that helps people in life a lot. And, um, you know, it's, do you ever notice how much people today downplay emotion and talk about it like it's, 
you know, there's so many words like, you know, crunchy, feely, and, oh, not crunchy, feely. What is it? Crunchy granola. Touchy, feely. (laughs) (laughs) Touchy, feely. Or wishy washy. I kind of like crunchy better. (laughs) (laughs) I made up a new one. Um, You know, people really think emotion is just, is weak. They equate emotion with weakness and thought with strength. And the reality well, yeah, is, I hear that emotions can be both, right? Vulnerable, yes, absolutely. Head and heart, not just one or the other. It's and, I think, right? You know, so the balance. The key is you use your thoughts to manage your emotions, and you use your emotions to drive your thoughts, right? So emotions drive us to do so many things, and to connect with people, to take care of people, to take care of ourselves, to protect ourselves. And if, if we've cut off this vital source of feedback, it, it really interferes with our ability to do the best we can in life, which is why I think so many emotionally neglected people end up not achieving what they feel like they, what they know they can. Yeah, I'm really interested in delving into that in the second part of the show. I think that's so vital. And another thing that's occurring to me as we're having this conversation is like, if you're disconnected from your feelings, they're in a closet, the door's shut. But that doesn't mean it's not still affecting what's going on center stage in your life. It's sort of like having a puppeteer, you know, pulling your strings from a place that you're not conscious about. It's, it's uh, kind of controlling you from behind the scenes. And, and that's not really, I think, the best way to live our lives. Yeah. I mean, emotion that is not expressed or dealt with does, it just hangs back there and yes. it does run the show. It you know, it yes. gives people back aches and headaches and stress and makes them blow up when they don't intend to and it does all kinds of mischief. Yes. I absolutely know that's true. I had so many health challenges before I started doing this work and now though I'm older, I'm much more vibrant, healthy. I'm I'm more fully alive, and it's it, it, I do Good really for you. That's great with my emotions. Yeah, so we're going to go to break here pretty quick. But before we go, Doctor Webb, I'd like to know how important do you think it is to put ourselves first in our own lives? Some people would say that's very selfish. What would you say? Mm-hmm. I think it's vital, mm. absolutely vital, um, because it's by putting ourselves first that we're able to take care of others. Yeah, I think that's true. It puts us on that solid foundation. So we're healthy and balanced and able to give from overflow and abundance rather than in deficit. Exactly. All right. So when we come back, Dr. Webb is going to share with us four steps we can take to start putting ourselves at the top of the take care of list so that we can take better care of other people if that's really what we want to do. So hang on. We're going to be right back with Dr. Janice Webb. Ranger Station, Ranger speaking. Yeah, hi. Uh, I'd like to report a 
bear sighting? Location. In the forest near the side of the road. No need for alarm, sir. The forest is where bears live. But this was no ordinary bear. No ordinary bear? At one second, I'm having a smoke taken in the view. Next thing I know, I am face-to-face with Smokey Bear. Let me guess. Smokey had a tip for you. He did. He must have seen me toss my cigarette on the ground. He told me never to do that because it only takes one spark to start a wildfire. He's a smart bear. Did you know that nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans? That means nine out of ten wildfires can be prevented. That's what Smokey said. I had no idea. That's why Smokey's famous, and you're not. Good point. Get your Smokey on. If you see someone in danger of starting a wildfire, step in and make a difference, because nine out of ten wildfires are caused by humans. Brought to you by Smokey Bear, the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Learn more at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent wildfires. The odds of a young girl being discovered by an industry insider while singing to herself pumping gas? One in 300 million. The odds of the daughter of a clergyman from Severn, Maryland, spending 11 weeks at number one on the U.S. singles charts? One in 19 million. The odds of going on to win six Grammy Awards? One in 1.4 million. The odds of selling over 40 million records? One in and 800,000. And the eyes of this musician and performer having a child diagnosed with autism? One in 150. I'm Tony Braxton, and I encourage you to learn the signs of autism at AutismSpeaks.org. Early diagnosis can make a lifetime of difference. Autism Speaks. It's time to listen. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Later, much later, we heard something. We didn't breathe for listening. Then footsteps on the back porch, creeping, then more confident. After all, nobody was home. A hand closed on the knob on the screen door to the kitchen and found it latched. We heard a little sawing sound as a file began to slice through the screen wire. Grandma reached down for something in her sewing basket. Through the darkness, I managed to notice Grandma's rocker was rocking and she wasn't in it. She was standing over me. Keep just behind me, she whispered. I followed her across the room into the kitchen. Now we were by the door and I heard the scuffle of heavy feet in there on the crinkly linoleum. Grandma turned back to me. Under my nose, she struck a wooden match with her thumbnail. She touched the match to something in her other hand. It sizzled. Then she leaned down and rolled it into the invisible kitchen. Explore new worlds. Find out what happens next by reading the book A Long Way from Chicago by Richard Peck. For other great book ideas, visit literacy.gov. A message from the Library of Congress and the Ad Council. You're listening to Empower Radio. Now back to Journey to Center with Dr. Tammy Balashevsky. Hello, you beautiful humans. Thanks for hanging out with us here on Journey to Center. We are spending some quality time with Dr. Janice Webb. She's a psychotherapist who does a lot of really great work and has recently written an amazing book filled with a lot of wisdom and exercises, graphs and charts to help you start opening to your emotions and healing your childhood neglect. It's called Running on Empty, Overcome Your Childhood Emotional Neglect. So Dr. Webb, thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here, Tammy. So before we went to break, I mentioned that you were going to share with us four steps we can start to take to make ourselves more important in our own lives, to put ourselves first. So I'm interested in knowing what these four steps are. They are saying no, asking for help, 
discovering your likes and dislikes, and putting a higher priority on your own enjoyment. Those are four things that are very difficult for many emotionally neglected people to do. The reason is because if you grow up in a family where, for whatever reason, you're not really asked, what do you like, or you're given the message that you shouldn't need help, or if you're not given the opportunity to say no, or if your enjoyment is not a priority for the family, you grow up feeling like none of those things are true for you as an adult. You don't have the right to say no. And asking for help is putting a burden on other people. You don't know what your likes and dislikes are because you never were really encouraged to discover that as a child. And you feel other people's priority takes, other people's enjoyment takes priority over your own. It's so true. I mean, you're just totally describing me. <laughs> Probably everybody uh-huh. that's listening to this show. I remember hearing, you know, I don't care what you want to do, you're going to do what you're told. And, mm. you know, uh, you know, just all the things that so many of us heard. And I remember being in therapy years later and the therapist is like, how do you feel about that? I'm like, feel what? Nothing. <laughs> I was like, right, I, right. I, there was nothing. There was nothing. I was so numbed out and disconnected and then wondered why I was depressed. And I, I struggled intensely with eating disorders. And I found that very interesting in your book. You talk about this. Why is it that people who have experienced childhood neglect, why do they have issues with food? Well, I, I don't think, I mean, it, I think it's because part of raising a child well is teaching them how to have a good relationship with food. And, you know, it's also the, the same thing with every other area of raising a child. It's really important. You know, you can provide plenty of food for a child and still emotionally neglect a child in that area by not teaching the child what food is for and how to eat it. For example, when to eat, how much to eat, what to eat. Um, those are all important decisions that this child's going to have to make for the rest of of his or her life. And um, a parent who doesn't have those skills himself doesn't have them to pass on to the child. So that's just a way in which a parent can really emotionally neglect a child. Mm, That's so fascinating because I know we are the, I think we are the heaviest nation in the world. And I've heard that our our solar plexus, where, where our stomach resides, is our feeling center. And I think a lot of people probably really are out of touch with their feelings, feeling empty. And so they're filling up with, with food, thinking that that's somehow going to get to that place inside of us, which it's not really very effective. Yes. And also some of it just has to do strictly with self-discipline, being able to say no Uh, Because we have so much food in today's world, you know, we're lucky in this way. We're not scrounging for food like our ancestors were, but we do have to have the ability to say no and to cut ourselves off when we've had enough food. And I think a lot of us lack that ability, partly because our parents didn't have that ability and they didn't realize how important it was. So they didn't teach us as we were growing up. And now we have to teach ourselves now that we're adults. It's, it's our turn. We have to teach ourselves and then we can pass that skill down to our kids. Oh, that's so true. And boy, was that an uphill battle for me. 
you know, and, and I don't know about you or the people hanging out with us today, but it's like you clean your plate, you eat everything on your plate. And I don't care if you don't like it because there's hungry kids in China. So, mm-hmm. oh, okay. And then it didn't, I got to the place where it's like, I didn't know when I was full, I just had to eat everything that was in front of me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was, I got out of touch with that. So that's probably fairly common. It is. And, you know, it can happen in the other direction, too, where parents just don't pay any attention to what the kid eats. Mm. So I've talked to many people who grew up, you know, eating tons of desserts or, you know, just bags of chips all over the house or hot dogs every night because their parents just weren't paying attention to that. Maybe they were great parents in every other way, but they just weren't they weren't in tune with that. And then, you know, that, that kid grows up having to figure this out on his own. Mm-hmm. So true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I grew up on Oreos and hamburger helper and probably <laughs> stuff that didn't have a lot of nutritional value. So yeah, it's been a, it's been something that I've had to learn, you know, vegetables, fruit, feeling, when am I full? You know, when mm-hmm. am I hungry? And starting to really trust my body, trust my feelings. It's been a very interesting journey, but boy, am I glad I said yes. <laughs> yeah, it's really, it is very important to health and in every area. Yeah, of it, life, it right? just, it so is, it so is. So, you know, to go a little deeper into this, there was a, a chapter in your book that I got so much value from, and it's about the subject of suicide. Um, and you, you talk about why people may have suicidal uh, thoughts or fantasies or why some people actually attempt or succeed in committing suicide. And I love how you presented this example. You presented it from both sides, both perspectives, the people confused as why somebody would do it that seemed like they had everything going for them. And then the history behind what was going on for the person that, that attempted the suicide. And Mm -hmm. I remember being a young girl and fantasizing about suicide and thinking about it. I spent a lot of time thinking about it and wondered why my life wasn't working. And then um, later I experienced a friend that had everything going for him that committed suicide. So I'd like you to talk a little bit more about how emotional um, neglect can contribute to this, this, this really, really sad situation? Yeah, I think it's, um, I mean, certainly not everyone who's emotionally neglected ends up feeling suicidal, but I think it can happen just because when you have your feelings cut off, going back to that, um, and you have this empty feeling, a lot of people describe it as a numbness. And it, you know, you grow up with this feeling of just being kind of shut down in a way, which prevents you from really being joyful and happy and enjoying life the way that you should. And then you also feel cut off from other people and it's very hard to ask for help. So you, you bring all of this together and, you know, with the numbness and that empty feeling, I think a lot of people end up using the idea of suicide as an escape. And I've talked to many people who have done similar to what you were just saying that have used that feeling as a way to cope through their childhood even or their, you know, adolescence and and through adulthood. Um, It's, you know, it's just very, it really cuts a person off from the possible sources of support and help. 
um, and makes people feel very alone. And so someone who seems to be really at the top of their game and have a supportive, loving family and have everything going for them can, you know, really secretly struggle with these suicidal feelings for years. Mm-hmm. It, it really wears on people. Mm. I can attest to that. Mm. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. And again, it's like I would I would think about the suicide and consider it and contemplate it. And it wasn't so much that I wanted to die. I just wanted to stop hurting. Mm -hmm. And and Mm -hmm. I didn't even know that I was hurting. I just felt really, you know, disconnected and I guess depressed, but I couldn't Mm -hmm. pinpoint any feelings. So it is, it is painful. And as I would consider these, these negative fantasies, I wondered why my life wasn't moving in a positive direction. So I know for me, getting in touch with my feelings really brought me back to life. Yeah, it's amazing how when you're you're so, you know, you feel so disconnected and then you're dwelling on these negative, this idea of escape, it really does keep you from, it just separates you out and keeps you from truly living life. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's great that you were able to do what you did and, and, you know, it really can just give you a second chance at life to get in touch with the real you. And I feel like that's exactly what I did. It kind of pulled me up by the the bootstraps. But I really, I really, really believe when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And uh, I was really ready. I was like, either either I have to just off myself and, and get over this, or I have to figure this out. <laughs> and fortunately, mm-hmm. I think for me, I, I chose the latter. Yes, thank goodness, huh? Yes, yes. Um. And, and, and it was weird because once I put both feet in on this healing path, one of my very best friends did make the other choice and did um, uh, commit suicide. And it was just heart-wrenching. It was just heart-wrenching. And he was, he was very successful. He was a, a cosmetic surgeon. It was like, it doesn't make any sense. But now, I mean, I get it. Just it, Yeah, he could have been struggling with all of this. I mean, who, who knows what was going on for him, but... This could be an explanation for why someone, I think it is often the explanation for why someone who's really seems to have it all going on, you know, for them can actually take an action like this. Yes, it it does make things make a lot of sense. Your book really sheds a lot of light on this subject from many, many different angles and perspectives. Very powerful. Um, Very good reading. Very, very good reading. So something else you write about that I think is is so vital to touch on um, are the emotions of guilt and shame. And these are some of the toughest ones I've had to work on in healing myself and and working with clients myself. Um, What can we do to release or heal these detrimental emotions? I think um, with this one, guilt and shame is a little bit different than a lot of the other things that we've been talking about today in that really understanding where it comes from can often take it away. So here's what I mean by that. A lot of people who are emotionally neglected in childhood feel this, you know, struggle with all of these things we've been talking about in adulthood, but they look back on their childhood and they can't find a reason for it. I've heard so many people say, my parents were great. I was never abused. You know, nothing terrible happened to me in childhood. 
or it's something did, it's already been dealt with. And yet I still feel like something is wrong with me. And what happens then when there's no explanation for it is that people blame themselves. They say, well, there's obviously something wrong with me. And this is the whole, this starts the whole cycle of guilt and shame and feeling, you know, it's, it goes back to the fatal flaw feeling. There's something wrong with me that's keeping me from being happier and doing better in life. And it's, it's you know, a combination of self-blame and self-loathing and, and shame and blame. And um, it can be a really negative cycle. And what I've seen in working with people is that once people are able to see that there's an explanation for why they feel the way they do and why they're struggling with what they're struggling, it really relieves that cycle of self-blame and shame. You can stop blaming yourself once you realize, oh, this is what happened. This is the explanation. What a relief. Yeah. It can be, it can be huge for people. Yeah, it's just like uh, a big weight lifted off of mm-hmm. one's shoulders. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, so powerful, so helpful. Just letting go of that stuff that's no longer serving you. So yeah, it doesn't mean you have to blame your parents. It's not about blaming them either. It's, right. you know, no one has to be blamed. It's just about understanding, right? What went wrong so true. and why. That's, that's exactly right. And then I think that's when we can begin to heal. We don't blame others. We don't blame ourselves. It's just information. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know if you've seen this in your practice where people do maybe go through a period of time where they are angry and that can actually be positive. Yeah, well, there are parents who do deserve blame. There are parents who actively ignore their children or who are too self-involved to notice what their kids are doing. And, you know, in the, in the book, I talk about all these different kinds of parents. And um, some parents really, you know, it, it serves you to be, to get angry at them because they didn't make the best choices for, you know, not out of love, but for the wrong reasons. And um, so sometimes, yes, sometimes blame does make sense. And sometimes it's just a stage and you can, Yes. You know, feel that for a while exactly. like, towards your parents and then you get past it. Yes. Yeah. It's like a stepping stone on the path to getting healthy. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, exactly. I, I, mm-hmm. I, yeah I, I totally, totally agree with you. So, Dr. Webb, if maybe somebody's listening and, and they're realizing they were emotionally neglected as a child and weren't nurtured properly, what are some self-nurturing behaviors we can start to take? as adults? Well, to start with, those four, those four things that we were talking about earlier, saying no and asking for help and, and figuring out what you like and what you don't like and prioritizing your own enjoyment. It's not so easy to fix all those things, but they're definitely fixable. And just starting to take better care of yourself, making sure that you know, really prioritizing your own needs is so important and making sure that you eat right and you exercise, you get enough rest, learning ways to soothe yourself when you get upset and getting in touch with your feelings. And, you know, a really big one is having compassion for yourself instead of, you know, stop blaming yourself, stop being angry at yourself. And most emotionally neglected people have a lot of compassion for other people 
So Mm -hmm. use that on yourself. That can be so hard. When when I first heard that, I'm like, okay, that sounds nice intellectually, Mm -hmm. but how do I do that? All, you mean all of those things or the compassion part? The compassion, the compassion, because I think what you're saying is absolutely key, mm-hmm. but it's hard. I guess maybe like what you were saying earlier, it starts with the intellectual understanding, you know, cracking that door open to that possibility so that it can eventually kind of come in. But wow, I just remember being overwhelmed when I first heard that. You need to have a little more compassion for yourself. I was like, Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> How do I do that? <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends. I think it depends for different people, like in what way they, they need that compassion. Um, but generally, once you start really trying to do all of these other things that I listed first, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. once you're doing those things, you start to feel like you, ha- you start to recognize your own value in a different way. Because your, your behavior is giving, you know, you're, you're giving yourself the message every day that you matter and that you have value and that you're worth taking care of. And that starts to open that compassion door some. I think That's beautiful. That's, that is such a good piece of um, wisdom right there. If somebody could just say to themselves, you know what, I matter. I deserve to mm-hmm. be taken care of. If they can just say that as an affirmation, I think that that really does start to open the door to cultivating authentic compassion for oneself. Yeah. If you think about it, I think a lot of people who are so hard on themselves, it's because deep down they don't feel that they matter. Mm -hmm. It it really, you know, the two things really go together. I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. And and something else I see a lot with, with clients that seem to struggle with this is the desire or, the, the belief that they need to be perfect. What would you say to someone that thinks that they need to be perfect in order to be worthy of love or to matter? Yeah, I think that, that, that also goes along with the whole, the whole picture, you know, the other person's needs are greater than mine and, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't really matter. Um, and the only way that I can be acceptable is to, to be perfect and do everything just right. And, you know, that's just not, it's, it's not how people are. There's no way to be perfect. So I think, um, you know, it too goes along with the whole picture. Once you start changing how you do things, your feelings about yourself will change, you know, yes. and once your feelings about yourself change, it changes how you do things. It's like gets this circle going, which starts mm-hmm. to change everything about how you live your life. And, that perfectionism thing is part of it that, you, you know, you have compassion for yourself more and then you realize, oh, everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes too. It's okay. I still have value. I'm still important. I still matter. Absolutely. When I really got that it, it's being human isn't about being perfect. It's about being loving and it starts and ends with ourselves. That was just like, okay, well, maybe I can love myself warts and all because you know being human is clumsy you know we make Mm -hmm. mistakes it's just Mm -hmm. the way it is and to just lighten up on myself and and be able to have fun with it rather than judge myself for it that was really so liberating so liberating yeah you're touching on a really important aspect of uh, that i talk about in the book about emotional neglect 
you know, the opposite of emotional neglect. Emotionally attuned parents actually really pay attention to who their child is, their strengths, his strengths, his weaknesses, what he's good at, what he struggles with, and feeds it back to the child. So the child sees himself reflected in his parents' eyes. And this is how he forms a balanced idea, a balanced vision of who he actually is mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. learns that, that all of those things, my weaknesses, my strengths make up who I am and I'm good. I'm valuable. I'm important. And if you so don't true. get all of that from your parent, then that's why you end up struggling with all of this, you know, in your adulthood. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that we, we determine or figure out who we are by the reflection back to us of the people that raised us. And if that reflection wasn't accurate or loving or positive or patient or good, it's very hard to have an accurate assessment or objective um, perspective of ourselves. So, Mm -hmm. and if we don't have it, we can still cultivate it. We can still cultivate it. And I think your book can be a really powerful healing tool for people that um, maybe struggle with that. So um, really good stuff. So Dr. Webb, I have a really, I have a question trying to understand this. I I understand so much of what you're talking about. It's really easy, but I would love to comprehend this a little bit better. Why do people who suffer from childhood neglect often lack self-discipline as an adult? Right. Well, it's, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with the eating. So um, if, People, I think, believe or think that self-discipline is something you either have or you don't have. Like some people have really great self-discipline and others don't. And we kind of think that we're either born with it or we're not. But the reality is we learn self-discipline by the way our parents discipline us as we're growing up. So parents who take the time and the effort to clash with their child and make their child do things that the child doesn't want to do and stop the child from doing things that the child wants to do but shouldn't are setting that child up with both of those skills, the the ability Mm -hmm. to stop yourself from doing things and the ability to force yourself to do things. And I've talked to so many people. This is just an area in which so many people who are emotionally neglected were also neglected that they weren't, they didn't get to internalize these two really vital skills in the right way because their parents were either overly permissive with them and didn't set up enough structure in that way or just failed them maybe in one area such as food or it could be in the area of exercise. Um, but it really, it's, it's sort of like a neurological pathway in your brain that gets set up mm-hmm. as a child if, if your parents do it right. And, you know, most parents screw up in one way or another, right? There are no perfect parents, <laughs> which is why the I think so many people end again. up struggling. <laughs> what was that? That darn word perfect again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, I, I read somewhere that the desire for perfect, perfect or perfectionism is actually toxic. It's one of the worst intentions we can have for ourselves. Oh, I believe I totally agree with that. It's impossible. So how can, how can it be helpful to aspire for something that's impossible? Yeah, it's not that much fun. No. Wouldn't the world be boring if everyone was perfect? And the same, you know, I always say, you know, if, 
when people argue different perspectives, I say, you know, if God wanted us to be like Canadian geese, he could have made us that way. But, oh, he already did that. The point is to be different. <laughs> right. Have fun with that. Celebrate our differences. Don't argue about them. <laughs> Even Canadian geese aren't perfect either. They're no, they aren't. Geese. I have a bunch of them in my backyard. And boy, are they messy. They are far from perfect. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> messy, messy, messy. But they all and do loud. kind of look the same. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so. We just have a couple minutes left here, Dr. Webb. To heal this dynamic of running on empty, how can we fill up with premium-grade fuel? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the answer is figure out in what areas you were emotionally neglected because, you know, most people have pockets of it here and there and, you know, not necessarily the full picture. But figure out, I think, where... You were emotionally neglected and then attack those areas. Just go, you know, go right at it and decide to fix it. And the second half of my book is all worksheets and, you know, guidance and how exactly to do that with exercises. And um, anyone who is motivated to really fix those areas that they didn't get in childhood can do it. Okay, perfect. All right, to my lovely listeners, thanks for hanging out with us here today on Journey to Center. If you want Dr. Janice Webb's book, go to www.emotionalneglect.com. Such great information. I'm so glad you wrote this book and so very grateful you took the time out of your schedule to hang out with us here today. Such good stuff. I'm happy to do that. Oh, awesome. So thank you, Brent Carey. Thank you, Sean. Thank you to my listeners. If you want more of me, go to TammyBPhD.com, T-A-M-M-I-B-P-H-D.com. Look forward to connecting you with your questions, thoughts, ideas, and just uh, I'm sending you love. All right. Healing to you onward and upward. Bye for now. 